Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very excited to have a return engagement today. So about a year uh, and change ago, we had Kate Everly Walker on the show. She's the CEO of a company called Presence Learning and had a great conversation about teletherapy and how to bring services into schools prior to the pandemic. And then 2020 has happened. Would have loved to have Kate back anyway, but in particular, in light of the, the rapid move of everything online and the, the real needs around students with special needs or with needs for school psychologists and speech pathologists and all that kind of stuff, there's quite a bit going on that we're going to dive into shortly. But before any of that, Kate, welcome back to Trending in Education. Thank you for having me back. It's been quite a year since oh we last goodness. spoke. Oh my goodness. And we were talking about it and I, I actually thought it was two years and it was only one just to show. Just one year. I know. Yeah, That's yeah. how time is moving these days. Oh my goodness. But, but for folks who maybe want an abbreviated version of what we talked about last time, can you just catch folks up on who you are, what presence learning is, and what you've been focused on since you've been there? Yes, absolutely. So Presence Learning is the largest provider of teletherapy services to K-12 schools to serve their special education population. Mm -hmm. So we're doing speech therapy, occupational therapy, uh, behavioral mental health and counseling services, and it's all done online through our teletherapy platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and there was a real need when we talked about this a year ago. I remember we were talking about like rural America mm -hmm. and certain parts of the world that have less access to in-person services like this. Can you ex expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Because Presence Learning, we so we were founded 11 years ago. So we've been doing this a long time. And the initial need was most prominent, exactly as you describe. It was in very remote rural districts or in some very urban-centered districts who, for different reasons, had a hard time finding and recruiting and retaining the clinicians that, mm -hmm. that you need to do this work. I mean, this work is all performed by speech language pathologists, school psychologists, occupational therapists. These are very mm -hmm. competitive hiring fields. It's work that requires very advanced degrees and you don't always find the professionals in you know, every location, particularly in these very spread out school districts. So yep. we started to help solve that problem. So you had districts that couldn't hire enough of the therapists. So they they weren't able to, to meet their requirements under federal law to provide the therapy to the kids with the special education yeah. services needs. So we started working with some of those districts first, and many of them are still our clients today and yeah. continue to grow with them and support their special education teams mm -hmm. and serve their students. Mm -hmm. And that was evolving over time, as in lots of other areas of education, there's increased comfort with technology, increased adoption of online services. And so we'd grown over the years to include more large urban districts, more mm -hmm. suburban districts, but still always serve that core mm -hmm. of rural schools because that's where the biggest need was and until March of right. 2020, when no one would have anticipated that exact need of, we can't get clinicians in the same room with our students mm -hmm. suddenly applied across the entire country. Yeah, yeah. The demand shifted and everyone was already forced to adopt. So yeah. the adoption problem was now gone. Then you have to figure out how do you start to execute against this enormous need in a new format? So it's not just yes. that they may not have been ready to move online, but then even how you deliver the services online, there's a training component for the workforce. 
as well. Which is huge. Yeah. Right. So that exactly. So the, the conversation with schools changed from trying to convince them to consider online, to try online, to rapid pace jump to, okay, we have, we have to do it online mm -hmm. and we we're not sure we know exactly how to do that. Can you help us? Mm -hmm. And so that it changed a couple of big things for our company. One was just recognizing that suddenly the most valuable thing that we had was not only having our own team of clinicians who were available to serve kids where, yeah. where schools didn't have the staff, but suddenly it was our knowledge yeah. you know, that, that expertise mm -hmm. in how to do this and how to adapt your offline practice to an yeah. online modality. And so, yeah, so we changed, we expanded our business model really quickly mm. looking back to March because we realized not every school is going to want to, they, they all need to go online, but that doesn't mean that they're all going to want to hire our clinicians right. to serve their kids. I mean, they, they have, there's large special education staffs in every district across the country. They know the kids, they have their relationships. They, they're going to want help connecting with their kids, not replacing them. So we changed what we were doing and started focusing on licensing our teletherapy platform and running professional development training sessions. We call it teletherapy essentials. Yeah. And it's everything you need to know to use the technology to mm -hmm. you know, work in the platform, but then also the more qualitative, how do you need to change your approach to what makes for an engaging therapy session? How do you connect with the child through the right. screen? Yeah, that's interesting. And it, I've always, I'm always struck by the parallels between the therapeutic relationship, the clinical relationship and the, the teaching dynamic, mm -hmm. the teaching relationship. And it seems by virtue of this pandemic, it's all been brought into the home through screens and mm -hmm. video chats and, and all of that. Any perspective on how that transition, especially from the inside, it's in some ways you've already been there. Yeah. Thinking about using this mode, understanding it's been, there are benefits as well as its drawbacks. And then this massive transition happens, you know, very suddenly. What have you learned over that uh, period of time? One of the, one of the big things was it really drove home the importance of communication with with the home with the parents with the other caregivers and what schools needed to jump to in terms of online service is the most complicated way to do it so pre-covid we had two distinct groups that we served we served virtual schools who were always needing to tackle wow. that second layer of complexity of not just how do i engage with a student through a screen but how mm -hmm. do i coordinate with the family at home to make sure mm -hmm. that service happens yep. and then there were all of the schools that we were serving in school buildings where you take out that communication piece and you just focus on make, having that therapy be happening through a screen. Even um, physically in the school. It would be and, physically happening in the school. So you'd yep. have an aide, you'd have a paraprofessional or another mm -hmm. aide who would be picking up the child from their, mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. their academic classroom, bringing them to a therapy room. Yep. Yep up in front of the screen. So all of those pieces of it were taken care of in the school. So you had two things were changing dramatically. You had that coordination piece of what are all of the calls, emails, instructions, coordination points that need to happen to get that child sitting in front of the screen. And yep. then what do you need to do to engage and, and have a productive session? Yeah. So it's really complicated. So I think we, we knew from working with virtual schools, but we really learned all over again with our schools that you had to get the communication. We've added 
not just processes, real functionality to our platform in terms mm-hmm. of te- text ability to do text reminders to right. to parents or the at-home caregiver to mm-hmm. make making the session happen is as important as, right. as making it engaging once you're there. Yeah. A, t- a topic we've talked a lot about on this show is uh, digital inclusion. We have a expectations, particularly those of us who are connected and online all the time through our smartphones, through fast connections, wherever we go, we have a perception of the world around us that isn't necessarily shared by everyone who's out there. And one of the trends that has really emerged and become more front and center now is that broader awareness that these access gaps exist. Can you talk about how that, that came, came into being through the pandemic from your perspective? Yeah, we, we certainly see firsthand the dramatic differences in in tech equipment, and that's and and that's across all areas of academic learning. Schools are grappling with this. We all read these nice headlines about the very large urban districts that might get a corporate donation of mm-hmm. thousands of tablets or Chromebooks yeah. or laptops, and you read about that that sort of system of supplementing and getting technology into the hands of students. We, like you said earlier in this conversation, work with so many smaller, more remote rural districts, they're not necessarily getting these headline generating corporate donations. Mm-hmm. And, and there are real challenges there, not only with getting equipment into every home, but having an internet connection. We saw some really some really great creativity. A lot of schools did something that I thought was really interesting. They took their school buses and equipped them with Wi-Fi broadcasters and drove them, parked them mm-hmm. in areas of their communities where they knew there was a need yeah. to, to broadcast a signal or even have the kids come sit on the bus to do the, to do their work. Yeah. Things like th- these community solutions are, mm-hmm. are a really big part of keeping education going right now yeah. in the country. Yeah. And then the, the other thing that we saw a lot of was recognizing that we needed to make it easier for all parents to be able to communicate and understand what was being asked of them and their children, which means having more languages than English. Mm. And we put a lot of resource into doing translations of all of our parent resources and guides mm-hmm. and instructional materials, yeah. adding more Spanish language speakers in particular to our live support desk so that mm-hmm. when those parents call, they, they can have the direct conversation they need to have. And yeah. that's really important in a lot of our districts to have yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It, it also reminds me of, uh, I forget the exact term from the digital inclusion space, but it's frequently at the community level, the the digital navigators are like an aunt or a cousin or yeah, someone yeah. in your community who can help connect you and maybe update your equipment or at least just understand how to get access to resources. Is that something you've had experience with on your end? Definitely. So we do this thing. We have we call it a, a tech check, a technical check that any family member or a student themselves, if they're older, can do that. You know that we require to happen before the first online therapy session. Yeah. And it's just a checkpoint to get to talk to one of our technical guides if you need and make sure that you're hooking into the the right webcam and the yeah. audio feed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, yeah, the interaction point is often a household member other than the parent or the student yeah. is the one that's making sure that everything is set up and yeah. ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. We take a lot of stuff uh, for granted at times, but, uh, but then on the other side, so, so that's this massive forcing function of the pandemic. People have to move online. Mm-hmm. We're more increased demand for 
school services around psychology, teletherapy. We want to talk about school evaluations and mm-hmm. uh, some of those things in a second. But at the same time, the amount of psychological stress that everyone is under is through the roof as well. So I, I do imagine if you were already diagnosed with special needs, obviously you're feeling the stress and it's more likely going to manifest in ways that are, that are problematic. And then if you hadn't been diagnosed and you were having some behavioral problems, it's not like the pandemic is easing your stress load yeah. and making you less likely to have behavioral health problems. Have you seen that increase on, on the other side as well? It, I imagine schools are even having trouble just operating, let alone shifting all these services. How's it, yeah. has it been on that side? Yeah. In terms of there's, there's a growing need for general mental health and wellness services mm-hmm. for, for all students, right? Mm-hmm. Not only the students with, with special education needs mm-hmm. and that area, that was a need before the pandemic and yeah. you know, now it's growing and it's always been a tough area for schools. They have so many requirements and mm-hmm. baseline services that they need to meet. And all of that has become more logistically complicated this year. Yeah. And so to get the breathing room and the funding room that, that you need to be able to run some of these mental health wellness programs is challenging. So yeah. what, what we've tried to do this year is create contained tactical programming mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that schools can do something, start with something mm-hmm. that's manageable as they figure out how to build up these programs. Like yeah. we, we've been doing more small group counseling mm-hmm. programs. We partnered with a group called Eye-Opening Enterprises that, that does trauma-informed counseling work. And so they, they built a program for us that's amazing. It's called Finding Your Superpower in Uncertain Times. And it mm-hmm. really, and it's for middle schoolers, it's for high schoolers, and it, it builds a program around, you know, talking about what's going on right now, the lack of consistency in Mm -hmm. schedules and routines, the social Mm -hmm. isolation, the economic uncertainty. Many children are in families where a parent has lost a job or been Mm -hmm. furloughed or something, something to that effect, talking about the the racial protests and how kids are processing that. So it's Mm -hmm. it's this program that is just meant to, in in a series of weekly counseling sessions, help kids process and find their way. So we've been trying to do more things like that Mm -hmm. are a small bite, something that you can start with, try to do some things. So that's, that's been interesting. I hope to see more schools able to do that and able to expand beyond the required programs into some of these areas. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's happening is there's really, there's a lot of children who haven't been evaluated. They're mm-hmm. wait, they're waiting to be evaluated to see right. if they do have right. a need or a disability right. or some challenge needs to be addressed. And that a lot of that, the majority of that evaluation assessment work really stopped. It just came yeah. to a halt last right. spring yeah. and that builds up. Like those issues don't go away. Mm-hmm. And so you just have, you have children waiting to even get evaluated to right. get a recommendation for what they need and that like the 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 tumbleweed that builds and gets bigger and bigger you just kept having more and more build up coming into this year and a lot of district work with a lot of districts right now to help them work through that get caught up get Mm -hmm. back on track I think that there was really it was such a new idea back in the spring, this idea of doing those assessments online. Mm -hmm. We've been doing them for the past five years, again, with those 
rural districts that that were asking to do yeah. it because they couldn't get the school psychologist to mm -hmm. to come on site, but they knew they needed to get the evaluations done. We built this telepractice in in the assessment area, yeah. working with the publishers, but it was very unfamiliar to mm -hmm. the majority of the people in schools across the country who were being mm -hmm. asked to conduct these assessments. So mm -hmm. it's taken a lot of a lot of conversation, a lot of really debate to try to convince people that it's better to assess than not and, and keep kids waiting. Yeah, exactly. And and it does feel like that the forcing function of the pandemic has moved us forward in our thinking about digital in a lot of really interesting ways. Do you have any perspective on what on the other side? Let's say the vaccine hopefully rolls out and we go back closer to normal by yeah. say summer into the end of 2021. How much do you think methods we've adopted that are more convenient or more scalable or more connected, all those things I think are true when it comes to teletherapy and, and telepractice more broadly. How much do you think we shift back or how much do you think we just stay in that new mode? I think there's so many advantages that that are being recognized mm -hmm. during this period that mm -hmm. it, I can't imagine it all going back to how it was in a few different ways. The, the biggest one for me is what it allows the workforce to do. We've always had our, our team of clinicians who were choosing teletherapy. And a lot of that was about choosing the flexibility and schedule control that comes from working remotely. And this field, particularly speech language pathologists, their majority, 97% women. Mm. Uh, a lot of them are, are of an age where they have young children and they mm -hmm. have household responsibilities they're trying to manage as well. And we, we'd created this way to work for some, and now a lot more are getting to experience it mm -hmm. that shows them that they can, you know, they can manage their lives and manage their work and, and do the work they love and still engage with children, but not have to leave their homes every day yeah. and be holding into somebody else's schedule. So I think that's a huge change. Yeah. I, I think that's happening. It's happening in my own company. It's happening yeah. in probably everybody's company, right? This, this window into what works well and what's nicer for lifestyle for mm -hmm. a lot of employees. So mm -hmm. there's that element of it, but then there's actually just doing that work, engaging with the child online. Yeah. Kids kids respond often mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. technology. They like watching videos. They mm -hmm. like playing interactive mm -hmm. games and clinicians get to, instead of planning to bring a bunch of toys, games, options carried in a box to a therapy room, they get to organize these really fun therapy cues online of pulling the videos and the games and the activities and the flashcards, you know, everything kind of yeah. in an online lineup that's there, like a playlist for mm -hmm. them to mm -hmm. run their therapy sessions. It's fun. It's easy it's very engaging if and if something's not working for a child you can x that out go to the next thing it's like more nimble i would say mm -hmm. it allows for the therapy sessions to be kind of more nimble to find what's going to engage the child so i think that's going to stick no matter what the format this this idea of using online tools to supplement the therapy and the engagement i think that's definitely here to stay yeah and to your point i i, I do think I've, I've thought more about this on the the teaching side but i, I think it's similar in the the more clinical or assessment side is that the scale with which everyone is experimenting mm -hmm. with the online delivery is going to lead to more innovation. And in particular, if you're able to share what's working amongst like a community of practice, which yeah. it seems like you have that opportunity at presence learning because you're so connected into the, the practitioners of this stuff. How are you thinking about 
those types of jobs in the future. As we start looking a little bit further ahead, what do you see on the horizon for jobs like speech pathologists or uh, occupational therapists or school psychologists? Uh, any window into what, what you might see on the horizon for that type of work? I definitely think in the, not just in the school sector, but the private practice sector, mm -hmm. more and more of that profession is moving online mm -hmm. because you're thinking about directly what do parents want? What are parents comfortable with? Yeah. And I think we're seeing, we're in the early stages of piloting a private practice version of our therapy platform. Yeah. And we're, we're seeing a lot of pickup and excitement and embracing of the online modality in private mm -hmm. practice. So I, I think that's going to be a big trend. And I think that for school professionals, you, you just hit on this idea of having a community of experts sharing mm -hmm. best practices. Th that's just being discovered in a new way. We had, coming into the pandemic, we had about a thousand clinicians. It was already this kind of great community that were sharing what worked for them, sort of tips, tricks, resources. Yep. Now we have about 8,000 clinicians using mm -hmm. the platform. We've grown our own team, plus we're, we're training and, and licensing the platform to school teams. So that's a huge group yeah. to really pull from, find out. Every day we're getting a new idea, a new suggestion for which assessments they'd like to have integrated into the platform, which activities they're going to other sites to pull from mm -hmm. that we can make easier for them to access and so on. And so you have this a lot of energy. We, we started running these clinical workshops for our presence learning community of providers and someone will run, will run a session on something that, that they have experience in a specialty of theirs and just invite others to join. And when you have thousands of people, you always get a really engaged group that mm -hmm. just wants to learn and push their own practice forward. So I, th I think it starts to get into a different kind of continuing education, professional development, almost yeah. this idea of the sort of sharing and sourcing across the group. Yeah, it's interesting when you start meeting the tremendous demand that is out there and also any stigma associated with mental health or, or reaching out for those types of services seems to be waning a little bit these days. I was talking to someone recently who said, if you're not anxious nowadays, there's probably something wrong with you. And then also understanding when it's serious enough that you do need help, which is the other reason why I very much appreciate that there are organizations like Presence Learning out there that are making sure that the services are trauma-informed, that in the event that, that there's a real problem, you mm -hmm. have a, more of a safety net of a community that's built in to make sure that these services that really are essential services are delivered in resilient ways that are also sensitive to the right. needs of the individual and, and the family. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and you have to take a really different approach, maybe a more deliberate approach to the risk spotting and identification and, and the coordinated action plan. When we're doing a new implementation in any school, one, one of the first things we need to do is establish the emergency plan. One mm -hmm. of our therapists through the screen sees a dangerous behavior right. or signal. Who did they alert? What's mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be very little, right? Like we, we had an example of a child is playing with matches mm. and you need, you're not in the room, but you're certainly right. gonna, you see it, you certainly are going to act swiftly yeah. to address it, but it's, yeah. it's, it takes a little more planning and process and coordination to make sure that if, and when things like that happen, that, yeah. that you can still take full responsibility.
Yeah, it's really interesting when you start thinking through, I hadn't thought of the, the child with matches example. That's a great one. I was thinking also more the positive aspect of the boundaries that are built into yeah. online. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that a little? I think the biggest thing that there is a natural boundary, right? There's a safety, I think, mm-hmm. on all sides from not having the, the physical dynamic along, yeah, right. along with the emotional. And I think the biggest thing it does is really leads to more opening up and more yeah. comfort, more honesty, maybe mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. because there's a different feeling of engagement. There's also more of a feeling of anonymity. Yeah. Which, you know, and I know people talk about in other online contexts, there can be maybe a meanness that comes from anonymity right. and what people right. might post on social media that they, mm-hmm. they wouldn't say to somebody. But in a one-on-one yeah. online session or looking at each other on a screen, yeah. but having the comfort that you're talking to someone who doesn't live in your community, isn't right. going to run into your mom at the grocery right. store. Yeah. It, it really does allow for still a nice relationship to build without some of those worries. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like a house call okay. in, a, in a sense too, which is another, I've always thought how this is helping the agoraphobic and people who are more just socially ang- anxious, mm-hmm. who don't even want to go out to the appointment, like going through right. The, the travel to get to the, the place where you're going to be evaluated. I imagine we can begin to reach people who otherwise wouldn't have had. Yeah. Something that was an obstacle doesn't, yeah. doesn't have to be yeah. a factor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So lots of good stuff on the horizon there. And then whenever we have our guests, we always like to know any other things you're noticing, any other hot tips or looking into your crystal ball for the future uh, I'll start with just what, one more on the special education and, yeah. and therapy topic, which is we've talked a bit more about the, the parent involvement, the family involvement in mm-hmm. education, but I'll say both in my work for presence learning and in other board work and advisory work around the sector, I, I, just, I think the parent as a secondary customer for Mm. education and as an influencer and an involved participant, I think Mm. that trend is going to drive a lot of things. And Mm -hmm. I think every company, including ours, we don't we don't sell our service directly to parents, but mm-hmm. we are certainly thinking more actively about what we need to do to engage them because in, you know, engaging the parent and having mm-hmm. their support yeah. in whatever you're trying to do uh, across mm-hmm. education is, is just so critical. And I, I think that's a that's just a big topic that oh. I think is interesting. And for me, having come from mm-hmm. Kaplan, Princeton Review, these companies that did directly serve parents mm-hmm. as the consumer and now being over in the school world, I think it's just, to me, really exciting to think about yeah. having, having parents get more active. And, yeah. and I think as a company thinking about how you can educate parents and make sure that they, they have all the information they need. Yeah. It's especially interesting if you think about what we were talking about before, where the services are delivered into the home, mm-hmm. the parent may be sitting next to her child while you're setting up for the session. There's a level of intimate connection that the televersion of therapy has because you're delivering into people's homes and the parents yeah. are there. And I, my One of my daughters receives occupational therapy and speech therapy online. And mm-hmm. I, I know the therapist mm-hmm. personally and because I get to you know, right. say hi to them every week. Yeah. And yeah. traditionally that was happening inside the school day and the parent had much less visibility yeah. into uh, or just much less time or, yeah. or access to that person. So that's from parent perspective, it's really nice, but it's also... I know our therapists love it. They, they love the work where they get to 
have more yeah. direct access to the parent because they know that's so key in, in making sure that you reach the child. That's fascinating. Yeah, I'm, uh, maybe 2021 is the year of the parent in education. Parent. I like that. I like that. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Yeah. And then, and then how about for you on the horizon? I heard you might be working on a project. I, yes, I have, I have a book coming out in March of 2021. It's called The Good Boss, Nine Ways Every Manager Can Support Women at Work. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I believe from my own career trajectory and from talking to a lot of other successful women that the biggest difference in a woman's career trajectory is really her boss. And if you mm-hmm. have a good boss who sees your potential, who clears obstacles for you, who gives you stretch opportunities that can just have all the difference in in where you end up. So I wrote this book that gives, you know, very practical advice to all managers Mm -hmm. of women, particularly male managers, because that's the majority of managers today, how to understand the working experience of the women who work for you and, and, you know, practical things you can do to, to smooth the path. Yeah, so definitely piqued uh, my interest, and I imagine our audience's collective interest. So if that's coming out in March, there may be an opportunity to get Kate back to go deeper on some of those tips, which sounds super interesting. If folks want to learn anything uh, more about presence learning or any of the stuff we talked about today, where should they go? Presencelearning.com. There you go. There's a lot of videos, a lot of ways to, to reach our teams from there to get more information. Yeah. And then, and I know you're out there more on podcasts and you're an interesting follow on LinkedIn. So Please, I would yes. recommend Emily Walker uh, at LinkedIn. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. So Kate, uh, thanks so much for, for coming back to Trending in Education. It was wonderful to have you back. And for our listeners, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back again soon. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend, write a review, share us. This is Trending in Education.